0: Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert Lamb, and with me is our other co-host.
1: I'm Drew Tan.
0: So, today, after much fanfare and much waiting, we finally arrive at the number two spot for our top 25 marvels of all time. All of our pontificators and our statisticians and wizards... Uh, warrior our, monks our warrior monks our witches of the of the swamp have uh, looked at tea leaves and at chicken bones and they have come to a conclusion
1: what so, conclusion is that albert what did they determine to be the mystically proven scientifically <laughs> approved number two greatest marvel of all time
0: You'll have no, you would not believe how many virgins I had to sacrifice in order to come <laughs> to figure this out. <laughs> I was just murdering virgins left and right. <laughs> Those poor virgins.
1: <laughs> man, that, that's intense, man. You, you took it to a whole level I was not prepared for. Um, I really can't. I really can't top that.
0: Uh, it's a form of mysticism. At least that's what I tell myself, and <laughs> what I told those virgins. <laughs> um, so today we arrive at number two, and the number two greatest Marvel comic of all time is Spider-Man. Uh, we're gonna go with Amazing uh, Spider-Man or Amazing Fantasy number fifteen, but really, it's gonna be. The entire Stanley Steve Ditko run of Spider-Man.
1: Yep, so that's Amazing Fantasy number fifteen and also the first thirty-eight issues of The Amazing Spider-Man plus a couple of annuals.
0: So Drew, do you wanna give us a rundown of uh of a little bit of uh backstory or history uh about Spider-Man?
1: Absolutely, but before I do, here's a word from our sponsor. Barbara's Morning Oat Crunch Cereal is a classically delicious cereal. This has been a family favorite for years, and rightfully so. Start your day with the perfect blend of heart-healthy, yum, and non-GMO verified goodness. Grab a box today. Barbara's Original Morning Oat Crunch Cereal. Dang, Albert, you kept a really straight
0: face. I wasn't sure, because you did that really well, so I was like, do do we actually have a sponsor now? Cause, I mean, I know we don't have like meetings or anything, but this was uh, this was news to me. <laughs> I was like, "Dang, we are we are progressing in leaps and bounds in ways that I never even knew."
1: <laughs> well, when you sacrifice as many virgins as you do, sometimes the outcomes are unexpected.
0: That's true. That's true. Did you just come up with that off the top of your head? That was well done.
1: <laughs> well, it is a cereal that I really like a lot, so
0: See, that's the thing. I didn't even know that was a cereal.
1: Oh yeah, man. It's it's great. Barbara's Morning Oat Crunch. Classically delicious.
0: See, you guys might not know it, but this was this is we're still in the middle of the advertisement. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's heart healthy. It's an excellent source of fiber. It's non-GMO project verified. Made with whole grain, and it's vegan and kosher. I'm
0: playing into the act. I'm playing my part in this bit.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Definitely Uh, go to your local grocery store or supermarket and get yourself a box of Barbara's Original Morning Out Crunch, the approved cereal of Between the Gutters.
0: (laughs) I'm playing uninformed room number one.
1: (laughs) So let's get back to the topic at hand, which is the Stan Lee and Steve Ditko run of The Amazing Spider-Man. So Amazing Fantasy number 15 was the first appearance of Spider-Man. That was a story, his origin story. Amazing Fantasy number 15 famously was the last issue of that series because it was a, a comic book series that was about to get canceled due to low sales. And uh, at this point, they just let Stan Lee and Steve Ditko do something that they wanted to do because they didn't expect it to to matter because it was getting cancelled, but uh, obviously Spider-Man ended up becoming one of the biggest characters of all time. Amazing Fantasy number 15 reached newsstands in June of 1962, and then a few months after that series was cancelled due to popular fan demand they launched the amazing spider-man a few months uh later so stan lee and steve ditko teamed up once again and together they did the first 38 issues of the series plus a couple of annuals arty simic was the letterer i'm not sure who colored those comics back in the day they didn't really have uh great credits and uh i guess i forgot to Look it up online before we started recording this, so... So there we Somebody go. else is going to have to Google it. <laughs> but the amazing Spider-Man, uh, just a very well-known title. I mean, dude, it, it's Spider-Man. I think yeah. everybody knows who Spider-Man is. Even people don't read comics know who spider-man is he's probably the closest thing that comics has to to a mickey mouse or a super mario just one of those characters that's super recognizable you know you just you don't even have to see his whole body you just see his mask or his face and you instantly recognize who that is right it's just a yeah exactly an icon of of popular culture um. So when it comes to the creation of Spider-Man, uh, let's talk a little bit of context here. I think a lot of times people tend to apply most of the credit to Stan Lee. Um, certainly he's the, the one who is the most famous of all of the, probably of any comic book creator, I think, right? Like I don't know if there's anyone who is more famous or well known than yeah, him in the general consciousness.
0: Yeah, I I'd, I'd say that he's a guy who uh I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, I mean, he he did do some great things in in his role and his contributions in creating so much of Marvel mythology, but he was also a heck of a promoter, so yeah, I'm sure that had a large, uh, it it had a large lasting effect, and a large part in why so many people to this day still think of him as kind of the the godfather of Marvel.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he was in, you know, he had cameos in all the different uh, Marvel movies, so even later in life. He was being associated with marvel even with the characters that he had he he did not create you know he was cameoing in their movies yeah uh meanwhile the artist of the series steve ditko very famously reclusive he was essentially like the jd salinger of comics he left his mark on the comics world with the amazing spider-man and dr strange occasionally he would pop back up uh with marvel at marvel or with other publishers and do some work there um but he never put himself out in the public eye you know whereas stan lee often did interviews with with magazines or went on radio shows or or even uh documentaries or tv shows to talk about his work um Steve Ditko never did anything like that. He might have gone to one comic book convention in his whole life. And after that, he pretty much swore it off. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So he was was just famously reclusive, never gave any interviews. Uh, Like all the facts that we know of his life are... It's a surprisingly short Wikipedia entry, you know? (laughs) It's like you don't really like every when he died a couple years ago at the age of i think 90 like there was a lot of like all you could really say about him was to talk about his work but in terms of who he was as a person there wasn't it didn't feel like there was a whole lot to say because people didn't know who he was like people i don't even know if he was married or if he had any kids i don't think so but you can't be too sure you know
0: yeah yeah no i totally get the same impression um I remember hearing stories about people who would track him down and yeah they just find like they were able to find him and he he would just have like this office and the way that I always envisioned it when I was reading about the description it just felt like he had this office in some discreet building somewhere and he would just spend his time drawing his comics because he was still drawing like years after Spider Man, but yeah,
1: yeah, he had an uh, active career. He was, he was one of the, he was a true
0: uh, artisan.
1: Yeah, exactly. Excellent yeah. word. That's exactly the word I was looking for. He was a guy that was well, doing low budget indie group. comics for many years. Yeah. Every so often, uh, he would, you know, he he did, he did create other. Pretty notable uh, characters. Um, like he went to DC for a while and he created char- characters like the Creeper. Uh, I-, I think way way back uh, in one of our recommendations episodes with uh, Seanus and Zach, Zach uh, picked the Creeper as his uh, crime recommendation, I think. And that was like a Vertigo, a modern Vertigo spin off. Or interpretation of the original uh, Steve Ditko creation. He also, Ditko also created Shade the Changing Man, which was reimagined back in the 90s by Peter Milligan and Chris Baklow. It's one of my all time personal yeah. favorite comics ever. But uh, Steve Ditko created the original character. He also created The Question, who was famously uh, adapted as. Rorschach and Watchmen
0: mm-hmm.
1: heck he also went back to Marvel uh, later on in his career he created Speedball you know Squirrel. good old Robbie Baldwin <laughs>
0: yeah I love Speedball dude yeah yeah. When,
1: when I was a kid and I was reading New Warriors he was definitely uh, my second favorite New Warrior after Night Thrasher <laughs> actually maybe he was my third I like Nova too
0: man he was like my first favorite uh new warrior dude
1: nice man he was, you got he love was, for speedball
0: i do i still do man yeah, speedball is cool um he he also, did also
1: created squirrel girl
0: yep exactly i was just about to say
1: yeah it's uh he's he's a guy who had a hand in creating a lot of uh lasting characters uh and not all of them necessarily associated solely with spider-man yeah the thing that makes him such a fascinating figure is that, number one, not only was he an amazing artist and creator, but secondly, it's just so unusual that he was so reclusive. Mm-hmm. He was so reclusive, and uh, we just don't know very much of his personal life because I don't think he wanted people to know. Um, like, whenever we... whenever I read about Ditko or hear about his life. One of the main things that pops up is that he was an adherent to objectivism, the yeah. philosophy of objectivism. And clearly, uh, because of that, he was a very principled man who had his staunch beliefs and did not compromise in what he held to.
0: Yeah, he was a big fan of Ayn Rand. i mean that it just yeah that was basically her philosophy in in case those of you listening aren't really too familiar
1: yeah yeah it's 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 one of those things that i i I don't necessarily i mean i definitely don't hold to those beliefs or anything but i i respect the the fact that he was so consistent in his beliefs you know in the fact that he had his beliefs and and he never wavered and he he uh really cared about his artistic integrity first and f- foremost and just how to be how he was treated you know and how to be treated um and I, I think that's probably a big reason why things didn't last between him and stan lee working on spider-man
0: yeah I mean, there's a lot of mystery behind that. Uh, when people ask Stan, uh, or when they used to ask Stan, I, tell me if I'm remembering this wrong, Drew, but Stan's answer was always something to the effect of, I have no idea why he he left. Um, but as the story goes, like, one day, uh, Steve Ditko finished whatever story he was working on for Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. uh then turned it in and resigned and just left on the spot um yeah
1: that's uh that's how it happened from from everything that i've read um it's uh yeah just uh falling out and i think we can we can all speculate there's there's always been a lot of speculation because ditko's never given his side of the story and even though stan lee would be like oh shucks i don't know what happened yeah (laughs) you know it's stan lee saying that so (laughs) yeah it's you know there's there's a limit to you got to take that with a couple grains of salt you know what i'm saying
0: yeah there's there's a chance that he's omitting certain things yeah yeah i mean as much as i you know i cherish the man and you know what he has done um he was only human
1: (laughs) yeah yeah I feel like there's a good chance. I mean, I I'm just again I'm speculating, but there there could be a good chance that Ditko got tired of the way that Stan was carrying himself. Uh, you know, going to college campuses and and talking big talk and um, you know doing the the whole media circuit and promoting himself uh, at the expense of others. Yeah. He never he never really gave Ditko the respect i think ditko felt that he deserved and i mean even just from reading books about that period um and and interviews with people it's really hard for me to to blame ditko for not being too happy with Mm stanley uh even towards the end of their the end of their uh not i guess not the end of their lives since both of them only died uh, a few years ago but yeah i remember back when uh i believe it was when the first toby mcguire spider-man came out people were doing interviews with stan lee and and basically like uh, the the civilian media uh like time magazine for example gave stan lee the the sole credit for being the creator of spider-man you know <laughs>
0: yeah and that's, that's
1: yeah that's not, not cool. cool
0: yeah absolutely
1: and it even got to the point where uh after that article came out in in time Ditko actually wrote to their letters page and uh i'm gonna write i'm gonna read what he uh said in his letter to time magazine he wrote spider-man's existence needed a, co- a visual concrete entity it was a collaboration of writer-editor Stan Lee and Steve Ditko as co-creators. And um, I'm reading this story from a history book called Marvel Comics, The Untold Story by Sean Howe. I highly recommended to any of you listeners who want to read about the history of Marvel Comics and, and just all the behind-the-scenes stories about the people who created the comics. It's, it's really informative stuff, very compelling reading for any comics historian fan uh but yeah Ditko wrote that letter to you know let Time Magazine and the world know that he and Stan Lee are co-creators and apparently that after that happened Stan Lee uh called Steve Ditko and that was the first time they spoke in more than 30 years and then uh here here I'll read it from the book um So this is a quote from uh, Stan Lee. Steve said, Having an idea is nothing because until it becomes a physical thing, it's just an idea, Stan Lee recalled. And he said it took him to draw the strip and to give it life, so to speak, or to make it actually something tangible. Otherwise, all I had was an idea. So I said to him, well, I think the person who has the idea is the person who creates it. And he said, no because i drew it anyway steve definitely felt that he was the co-creator of spider-man and that was really after he said it i saw it meant a lot to him that that was fine with me so i said fine i'll tell everybody you're the co-creator that didn't quite satisfy him so i sent him a letter and then uh the wording of the letter that lee sent out in august of 1999 was a stumbling block Because the letter said, I have always considered Steve Ditko to be Spider-Man's co-creator. But here's the thing, Albert. Ditko pointed out that, quote, considered, end quote, means to ponder, look at closely, examine, etc. And does not admit or claim or state that Steve (laughs) Ditko is Spider-Man's (laughs) co-creator. at that point stan lee said i gave up
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean to some degree i see where uh i could understand the argument against or or i could understand taking umbrage for the term uh for using the term considered or using (laughs) the word considered and um I think because it's Ditko, I'm more understanding. Uh, but to be quite frank, if I had a friend who who uh, retorted to me in such a way, I'd be pretty pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just be like, "What do you want, man?" <laughs> I
1: think what he wanted was very simple. I think all he wanted Stanley to say was. Steve Ditko is the co-creator of Spider-Man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think
1: if okay. Stan Lee had just said a very straightforward, simple statement like that, that would have been the end of it.
0: Yeah. So
1: I, I personally for me, words do matter. So to casually throw in the word considered, even if it was or wasn't calculated, I number first of all, I definitely understand and sympathize with Ditko in that sense. And secondly, because of their long history. I really can't blame him at all for taking umbrage the way he did because Stan Lee, he might act like, you know, this goofy carnival barker, but like the man was still a shrewd guy, you know, like, yeah, like I can't say for certain that throwing in the word considered was a calculated move on his part. But if I had to guess, my gut probably tells me that he intended to use the word "considered,"
0: mm.
1: but that's that's just me, man. Um, so yeah, there's a there's just a really fascinating story or backstory between the two men that are most responsible for creating Spider-Man. Um, you know, back in those days, back in the sixties, they they worked in what's known as the marvel method so that means that the uh, the two creators would meet up and or maybe talk on the phone and talk about the basic plot of the issue then the artist would go to his studio or drawing board and draw out the issue uh, entirely uh, based on the plot that they had discussed and then the writer would take the pages, and then add the dialogue and the captions to the finished art. Mm. So it was a much more collaborative uh, process uh, in comparison to what's generally done nowadays, which is having the writer write a full script, and then the artist would take that script and draw the story based on, on the script. Yeah. And what's interesting about Spider-Man is that at some point during their collaboration, I don't know exactly at which issue it happened, but apparently Stan and Steve ended up uh, no longer on speaking terms. Mm. And for at least a a couple years worth of stories, Ditko would just come up with the plots on his own, draw them, and then... And then Stan Lee would
0: uh, fill in the text or the words.
1: Yeah, exactly. So a lot of the a lot of the plots, a lot of the ideas and situations, really are probably more the work of Steve Ditko than Stan Lee, if you think about it in in those terms, because they didn't really talk about it until after it was or I mean they didn't talk about it at all. Steve Ditko yeah. would just draw it and Stan Lee would just write the word balloons and captions. Yeah. It's a it's a pretty fascinating thing to think about because there was obviously so much uh tension between the two men, but when you just read the comics, you can't really tell. <laughs>
0: uh yeah. Yeah. I I think that's absolutely true. Like It would have been weird if you were reading it and there were just, you know, subtle uh, side-eyed messages in there. Uh, (laughs) Passive-aggressive messages. (laughs)
1: Every every (laughs) random cook that Spider-Man beats up looks like Stan Lee.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of drama. So, Albert...
1: What are the four criteria that determined that the amazing Spider-Man is the number two Marvel comic of all time?
0: Oh, sorry. There was a, something happened briefly there and there was a, like a, a, your, your audio cut out, but yes. uh, In regards to the four criteria, uh, it's the same criteria that we've been using uh, throughout this entire uh, process of dis- uh, deciding which 25 Marvels would make our list. And the four criteria are the craft of the work, the originality of the work, the impact of the work, and the work's ability to withstand the test of time.
1: Makes sense. Makes sense. Yep. So let's... let's. Uh break it down man Let, let's talk about how the amazing spider-man by Leon ditko hits all of those criteria at a very high level
0: absolutely um yeah like we can start with the craft i think uh it's well, fair i say- actually
1: I just thought of something go ahead let's even though we, even though spider-man's such a popular character is it necessary for us to give a brief synopsis of <laughs> of the stories or you're just assuming that everybody knows who spider-man is
0: (laughs) uh you know what i'm pretty sure it wouldn't hurt to i'm i'm more than confident that you can give a two-sentence explanation of what spider-man is about (laughs) wait wait you're putting this on me or i yeah i'm more than happy to do it as well so i here i'll open (laughs) uh spider peter parker is a young teenage boy who gets bullied in high school as, uh, you know, he has problems, as so many other teenagers do, uh, just very common things. But one day uh, at the science fair, he, he is exposed to a radioactive spider, which takes a bite out of him. And uh, in its final moments, it takes a bite out of him, uh, transferring its essence to him and imbuing him with the powers of a spider. And thus forth, Peter Parker... Teenage mild-mannered Peter Parker goes out into the world to be the crime fighter Spider-Man. How's that?
1: That's cool, man. You just left out the part about Uncle Ben.
0: Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay. Um Yeah, so uh you know, he <laughs>
1: Were you were you doing that to be funny? Because you made me laugh.
0: I was not doing that to be funny. I was just giving like the bare bones of of (laughs) what he was about. But uh, yeah, so Peter Parker uh, initially uses his uh, wealth, or not uh, his, uses his powers to try to get wealth and notoriety. But one day, uh, you know, as a criminal is escaping he has the opportunity to stop the criminal but he completely doesn't because he's uh just kind of bitter and being selfish because the promoter of the show that was robbed didn't give him his due so he allows this criminal to get away but little does he know that uh later on that night uh, uh, you know that very same criminal would end up killing his uncle ben and uh when he catches up with the the criminal he finds out that had he acted earlier he would have saved his uncle ben but as a result he has to live with this burden and this guilt and this knowledge for the rest of his life and he spends uh the rest of his life trying to make up for it
1: yeah there you go that's a
0: pretty essential
1: element of his story i would say
0: It's an element that I forgot. (laughs) 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 That I forgot to mention.
1: (laughs) So now that we have the baseline uh, origin and concept of Spider Man, let's talk a bit about the craft of these comics. What can you tell us about the craft of? these issues Albert are they technically sound are they well written well well drawn how strong is the overall storytelling did they did the creators did Lee and Ditko demonstrate mastery of the language and form of comics
0: I will say that one of the things that always jumps out at me and um you know I don't want to make it sound like what Steve Ditko did was spectacular only because of the time period and what he was compared to uh you know uh, and his contemporaries mm-hmm. but one of the things that we do have to realize is that the design of spider-man at the time when they first came out with him he was unlike any other superhero that had ever been you know yeah and so, you know, whereas all the other superheroes were, didn't uh, you, you had guys like Superman who didn't even wear a mask. And then you had guys like Batman. Everyone sort of had a cowl or, you know, some variation of that. And here you go, uh, you know, you come up with Spider-Man. And for the first time, the guy's whole face is covered with this mask. And just the design of the costume, like there's a reason that that design still like permeates even today, you know, even though they've tried to change Spider-Man so many times, like that costume is that in it of itself is just that shows Ditko's just mastery of design, I guess if if I was to put it a certain way.
1: Yeah. It's, it's uh, a very lasting costume. Like, even up to all after all these decades, yeah, sometimes people do modifications to his costume or even give him a different costume, but it always goes back to his original costume. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Like,
1: the like the, the main thing that, that is different is that Ditko gave Spider-Man the armpit webs. Sometimes mm-hmm. artists um, keep those, sometimes they don't. I feel like most of the time they don't use them.
0: Yeah.
1: I actually like the armpit webs, but it's probably a pain in the butt to constantly have to draw them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, like, speaking of elements that uh, were just groundbreaking at the time, like, I might be, like, jumping around a bit too much, but uh, in terms of the writing, like, the the backstory for Spider-Man was something else that had... that was groundbreaking at the time, whereas... All the other superheroes that had come before were all adults, fully grown men who, you know, who were supposed to be looked up to by these little kids. All of a sudden, you had this revelation that Spider Man was a teenager, just, Mm -hmm. you know, barely a few years older than most of the kids that were reading these comics.
1: Yeah. That was definitely different.
0: That was, you know, that was pretty. Like I've already used the word, but it was groundbreaking stuff, you know,
1: yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I think uh yeah, a lot of the stuff you described probably also falls into the other category of originality uh that we that we mentioned, yeah, but it it's it's definitely really artistic high point to create something this uh this fresh, you know, like yeah. The, the early 60s was kind of a boom for uh, superhero comics. Uh, you know, that was the, the start of this, the Silver Age. And all, all these other heroes were, were coming out at Marvel and, and DC. Uh, I mean, just a few months, several, maybe like less than a year before Spider-Man Fantastic Four uh, had come out. And that was a pretty big deal. Mm. Just kicking off the Marvel Age. Now, Spider-Man is, uh, you know, it, it it definitely took a different uh, angle on the type of superhero stories that that could be told. Like I felt like the the stories that that they told were not like the typical superhero stories that you would read. Because, like you mentioned, Spidey's a, a teenager, and Usually, uh, or at least up to that point, a lot of the comics that were about teenagers, <clears throat> it was either a kid's sidekick like Robin or, or uh, I don't know, like Captain Marvel Jr. or something, or, or even maybe uh, Superboy or the Legion of Superheroes or something. You had just teenage uh, characters depicted in, in a way where there were more, more or less like stand-ins for the kids that were reading them but with with uh, spider-man he was he was a teenager but he wasn't he didn't call himself spider boy you know yeah he called himself spider-man and, mm-hmm. and like that in and of itself um kind of speaks volumes for the tone and the direction of what they were doing um like the very f- first uh appearance of him his his origin story is is just uh it's got a lot of the hallmarks that we would come to associate with the character and the concept. I mean, even the way that Steve Didko draws Spider-Man, he's he draws him in in all these weird poses and positions, like he's a, he's an actual gymnast. He's he, his body is is contorted in in unusual ways. Uh, when he's uh, Peter Parker, it, it's almost like. It almost kind of looks like Archie or something, you know, like in the scenes where he's in high school.
0: Yeah, yeah. It
1: looks kind of similar to Archie or maybe a, a romance comic of the period, except the art was not... It wasn't as clean, like his his people weren't necessarily beautiful people, but they they looked like really expressive and, and emotive people. And, and it, it really fit the tone of the comics because... His Peter Parker was very moody character, uh, especially when you th- compare these early Spider-Man issues to the modern Spider-Man, um, or even you know Spider-Man from like the 80s and to the present. You know we don't we typically don't think of Spider-Man or Peter Parker being uh, a really moody character. I mean, there have definitely been dark stories featuring him but for the most part he's you kind of think of him as this lighthearted, uh wisecracking hero Mm,
0: mm.
1: but the way that uh stan lee and steve ditko portrayed spider-man especially when he was in his when he was uh in his civilian identity peter parker he was he was full of angst man he was
0: he was surly (laughs) yeah he was
1: surly he he was getting picked on all the time man he was bullied and it's it's uh, it's something that I don't think uh, comics that we grew the Spider-Man comics that we grew up reading like they would always reference Spider-Man being picked on and and you know being disrespected as a kid or in his civilian life, but to me I just remember when I was a kid reading those Spider-Man comics and and I, I would think man why is why is Spider-Man why is Peter Parker uh, why would he be mad at anybody because he's got mary jane and she's freaking hot
0: yeah <laughs> and he gets to be spider-man
1: yeah yeah know? exactly but then you go back in time and you read these comics from the 60s and it's like man this kid had a horrible personal life like all the kids at school are mocking him they're they're just like treating him like a little um a little twerp you know it, it's yeah he's he's the nerd yeah and i think that's something that we don't really uh see too much in in modern spider-man stories i i I, that's why i kind of liked uh the uh the andrew garfield spider-man movies like that was one of the things i I liked about that interpretation of spider-man was because spider-man or peter parker at least in those movies he was more of a, a moody guy even though Andrew Garfield didn't look anything like a teenager <laughs> he looked like a 20-something year old playing a high schooler which is always weird to me but at least they tried to, to make Peter kind of an, an outsider you know like he was more of a loner type
0: yeah I can see that um I mean it's it's kind of funny I, I personally think Toby Maguire looked a lot older than Andrew Garfield did
1: oh yeah that too that too <laughs>
0: Like uh, Andrew Garfield is sort of passable to me as a teenager, uh, but Tobey Maguire looked old. <laughs> was was
1: the <laughs> was were the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies? Was he supposed to be in college?
0: No, he was in high school in the. He first was in high one. school. Yeah, the first one he was in high school.
1: Oh wow, I forgot. Yeah, yeah, he definitely didn't look like a high schooler.
0: <laughs> yeah, the second one, I, I want to say he he was a uh, was was when they eventually put him in college and they aged him up really quickly.
1: <laughs> yeah. That was probably the smart thing to do when yeah. you're actor.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, in terms of design or the craft, the other thing that I, I, I feel like I have to mention uh, as an indicator of just uh, how good the craft of the comics were is – just the super villains in the spider-man series you know Mm -hmm. just the all of the like unique and just fun designs that he came up with for guys like dr octopus the scorpion electro um you know rhino uh, just there was just so many to choose from you know and as a kid those designs always did stick in my mind um I mean, there are a large reason why I always thought Spider-Man had the best villains, even though a lot of people were. I I know everybody says Batman has the best villains, but I I never really got to that point until I was older. As a kid, mm-hmm. I thought Spider-Man had the coolest villains because yeah. they were really unique and they they weren't just guys in costumes, you know, they they had these like weird things sticking out of their bodies. Electro's mask is just it's got a bunch of lightning bulbs coming out of his face. Mysterio is a fishbowl, has a fishbowl on his head. Yeah. <laughs> like it's truly like creative stuff. <laughs>
1: and and the awesome thing is how these designs have lasted so many years. You know, there it's it's just like Spider-Man's costume because even all these old villains that they created have barely changed over the decades they still essentially look the same way that they did when Ditko drew them
0: yeah i like every couple of years they try to come up with a new design for everyone but i have to say they don't ever they don't last they, they certainly don't last in my heart <laughs> so like a few years ago they did a um, well, not a few years ago. It's probably been a while, a, quite a while now. But they did um, Doctor Octopus, and <clears throat> they redid him. And the uh, the twist on him was that he was not not a coma. He he was he wasn't in a coma, but he was uh he was basically injured to the point where he couldn't move his body. He couldn't move anything except for his mechanical limbs. So, imagine this, like, shriveled husk of a man uh, who was just being controlled or, or being uh, moved by these four mechanical arms. Even that design was... Yeah, like, whenever they try to, like, you know, give give these villains a new edgy look, I can't say that it's something that does too much for me. Like, I I prefer the tried-and-true version of Dr. Octopus, which is, you know, a chubby professor with four mechanical arms coming out of his body. And a bowl haircut. And a bowl haircut. I don't really need all that much more. I mean, if anything, I would say that the best uh modern takes of these villains are the ones that embrace that look and just give them contemporary flourishes like i love the eric larson uh uh dr octopus he's you know mm-hmm. he he made him a guy who was uh he put him in a suit and yeah, but he still looked exactly like Otto Octavius exactly but he still looked like Otto Octavius at the end of the day at the end of the day another example that I can think of is um I think more recently they tried to redo electro so they tried to take away the uh, you know electric bolt masks mask that he wears mm-hmm. and I think they just made it like a tattoo uh, on his face like some sort of...
1: that's not good
0: you haven't seen that drew
1: i Don't remember if i have seen it it's probably something i wanted to forget
0: yeah well i don't know if it was a tattoo but it was more like they had flattened the lightning bolts that were like so if you can imagine his original look was he had a green and yellow costume and his face was basically a starfish there was a star coming out of it that was his mask but this redesign made it so that it curved all of the points so that it wrapped around his bald head
1: you know his shaved head
0: and okay that's what he looked like now and i was uh it's not a good look you know maybe there are people out there who think that classic electro is silly but that was not an improvement (laughs) yeah (laughs) i have i have no love for that that look
1: yeah, based on your description, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have any love for it either. Yeah. Another uh, thing I wanted to talk about in terms of the excellent craft of the comic is how clear Ditko's storytelling was. Like the way that he could tell the story, even with, like, if you just looked at his panel to panel storytelling and you ignored Stan Lee's words, you could still get. What, what was happening you know like there's it's still full of emotion and and character and heart and the the, the one issue that i would want to highlight is amazing spider-man number 33 it's it's called the final chapter and it's it's the very famous story with the or it's got the famous iconic scene where spider-man lifts the heavy machinery but uh, just just for uh, some context, because I, I really like this story, um, what happens is, in this story, it's the third part of a three-part story, which is another thing I think was kind of unusual back in those days. I don't think they often had uh, multi-issue stories. But <clears throat> essentially what happens is Spider-Man is tracking down this new crime boss called the Master Planner. And while that's, while he's doing that, his aunt May. Uh, side note: It's a funny thing, but Ditko seemed to really love drawing old people. So, <laughs> so like Aunt May is crazy old. You know, she looks like a mummy.
0: <laughs>
1: like she's like they always do these stories where Aunt May is is like almost at death's door, and uh, Peter's always scared to to, to reveal. The, um he doesn't want his aunt May to to know that he's Spider-Man because he thinks oh she's so old and frail the knowledge would would just shock her she would get a heart attack and, you know cuz like she's apparently she's that old
0: <laughs> she looks it she uh yeah <laughs> yeah she is she is at death's door every second of her life in those in those comics
1: <laughs> yeah and in this story it I don't, I don't, it's weird um, to think that this is what happens, but she's, in this story, she literally is at death's door where she's like dying in a hospital because of some radioactivity in her, in her blood. And the only way that she can get healed is if Spider-Man brings this rare, uh, I think it's either an isotope or some kind of rare element that can be used to develop specific serum to cure his aunt i mean i don't know i find the the science of that pretty uh questionable <laughs> <laughs> but you know for the purpose of the story it, it's it's fine you know it, it, yeah whatever it, it it gives spider-man a reason to to you know really devote himself to tracking down this uh serum or isotope thing but during the course of it he uh, ends up getting ambushed by the master planner who is then revealed to be Dr. Octopus. And they have a big fight in an underwater base. So what happens is Spider-Man, he gets trapped under a bunch of machinery and rubble in this underwater base while there's a a leak in the ceiling. So he's got limited time and he has to, he has no way to bring the serum to Aunt May unless he can find the inner strength to lift this machinery up and escape before he drowns. And he ends up uh, basically struggling for it's like a four page scene. And if you just look at the pictures, the way that his body is leveraged, you really believe that this guy is just giving everything he's got to try and lift something that he can't lift. And he ends up just, you know, thinking about his life. He's seeing his life flash before his eyes and he just thinks of how he failed Uncle Ben and how this is his chance to help save Aunt May. Yeah. Somehow he gathers the the inner strength to finally triumph and lift this heavy machinery, this rubble.
0: Yeah. And even
1: even then after he does all that, he still has to escape the water and then a bunch of henchmen attack him and he's just outnumbered and facing these crazy insurmountable odds. Mm. obviously because he's spider-man at the very end he somehow manages to defeat his enemies and and bring the serum to aunt may so she can be healed but yeah i think that whole issue is just it's a fantastic issue and if if you only read one issue of the lead spider-man you got to look up amazing spider-man number 33 like look it up on comiXology or or whatever find find a reprint of it somewhere Mm. uh look up the marvel masterworks collection but yeah that that's a it's a must read spider-man story and, and even spider-man homecoming did an homage to that in that scene where where uh, the tom holland spider-man had to pick up the rubble after he fought the vulture
0: yeah yeah i mean it's interesting it when the way that you talk about it it makes me think you know um it reminds me of how we always kind of rag on um scott snyder for, for doing <laughs> batman that way where he's like <laughs> batman just gets so batman that he just you know does it he he just finds the strength to like burst out of Clayface. Yeah. he just finds the strength to like beat up a bunch of ninjas or something right dodge bullets <laughs> dodge bullets and we just kind of mock that but this is an example of that sort of drama done well you know it it's not yes. a convenient device for how do I get spider uh, how do I get Spider Man out of this situation? I mean, the way that it's drawn, the way that it's built up, shows Spider Man contemplating, considering. <laughs> <laughs> he is co- taking into consideration his family, <laughs> his his aunt May. And what's going to happen if he fails to succeed? And you, you said it yourself. It was four pages of him just finding the will to, like, break out of this to save his Aunt May, you know? And yeah, for that purpose, I can accept that sort of uh, plot or that sort of device, you know?
1: Yeah, and, and on top of that, even from a, a logical standpoint, it – it's not too outlandish within the logic of the story because Spider-Man does have super strength. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've like, you know, there's when 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 you're talking about a regular human like Batman, like even though he's at the peak of human conditioning, there're still limits to what he can accomplish. But with a character like Spider-Man, something like this works because the upper limits of his power is of his raw strength are rarely ever really explored in depth. So for them to do a story where he ends up finding his limits and surpassing his limits, it, it makes sense. And on, not only that, but he, it's not like he walks out of that unscathed after he, after he does it, he gets out, he's hurting pretty bad. And, and that's why, He's still in a bad situation. The rest of the issue because he's he's he hurt his leg. Uh, he's aching. He he's probably uh, just exhausted from the strain of it. And then he gets washed away in in this water where the you know they're in an underwater base and the the water flows in because of a a collapsing in the structure. And he gets washed away and then has to fight these guys who have scuba gear and they're fighting underwater. <laughs> So they have air, but he's still trying to hold his breath. <laughs> and then he finally beats them up, and he gets out. And he's just surrounded by, like, you know, 15 or 20 more goons. And yeah. they're all just, like, pounding him. Even though even though they're all normal henchmen. Like, all they're all normal people that don't have powers, and he has his spider strength. He's already been through the ringer, you know? So he's not feeling 100%. Yeah. he's He's, like, super would, dizzy. He's got yeah. lack of oxygen. He... He hurt his leg. He's probably messed himself up from lifting the heavy stuff. He's pulled and all sorts of muscles. Fifteen guys are just pounding on him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I'd, I'd be hard pressed to say he was even at fifty percent at that point. Like, yeah. Exactly. You
1: know. Yeah. Exactly. And it it just goes back to uh, I guess one of the fundamental elements of his character, which is his power right like i feel like with spider-man we're constantly talking about his power and responsibility because that's the core idea of the character but usually it feels like we we like to discuss as as a you know intellectual people we, we like to discuss and examine his responsibility but this one this story is an examination of it's an examination of both but it really does highlight his power in some sense because this is he's doing these feats that no normal regular person could possibly hope to do, and even he could barely do, but it's it's really his willpower and his sense of responsibility to his aunt May that gives him that extra gear to triumph over an insurmountable odd odd insurmountable odds.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
1: I, the craft of the stories are just, you know, there's like a lot of gems on the same level as this one. I mean, this is probably my favorite issue of the run. But yeah, there's just a lot of stuff where Stan Lee and Ditko, Steve Ditko were able to tell stories that really rung that really rang true to the core concept of Power and responsibility and and the tension between those two elements
0: yeah i do want to mention just because i feel like i gotta play uh devil's advocate a little bit just i i will admit that some of the writing is a little dated that stanley his his dialogue doesn't necessarily pop all that much but, yeah, but I will say that the strength of his writing is, well, I mean, I guess that's that's, it's it's in large part Ditko's uh, contribution. But you know, the the overall plotting, uh, like those elements, still, still um, last to this day. You know, like yeah. Um, One of the things that I, like, even though, so I'm going to be completely transparent in telling everybody that I, although I knew uh, most of Spider-Man's early stories, I never actually read them until recently, um, for this podcast, actually, so, but... I do think that that's a testament to just the power of those stories that, that you can take the brief talking points and just make them so captivating, you know, Yeah, Um, their, like their run was one of the biggest, uh, storylines to come out of their run was the, the green goblin Spider-Man, uh, you know, rivalry. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, in almost every iteration of spider-man moving forward it's been a touchstone of his mythos you know yeah like so it's that in and of itself is a testament to like the power of their craft
1: yeah definitely it's uh it's not an easy thing to be able to write uh characters that have a true like enmity like that you know yeah and it was cool to see how they built it up and and played with that I- idea between these rec- you know with the re- with these recurring villains um yeah. especially the green goblin even though like a lot of the stuff that would come out of the green goblin storyline came after Ditko left mm. um actually that, that's kind of an interesting story in and of itself too isn't it because I was reading some stuff um, and I think I showed you the article but yeah but uh, you did. yeah, it sounded like Ditko wanted the green goblin because for a while when they after they introduced the Green Goblin the first time, they never showed us who he really was. It was a mystery yeah, yeah exactly it was a mystery. Spider-Man wanted to figure out who he was, but uh, Ditko wanted the green goblin just to be a nobody just you know like just some regular no-name crook.
0: Well, the rumor is that that's what Ditko wanted.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's the rumor. Yeah. I, I don't actually know because Ditko never gives interviews. <laughs> yeah. But that was that was the rumor. And Stan Lee had the idea of making him Norman Osborn.
0: Yeah, his best friend's father.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And lo and behold, the very first issue after Ditko left, issue 39, when John Romita Sr. took over as the artist, I believe that was the issue where we learned that the Green Goblin was Norman. Yeah. So it's 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 pretty fascinating to think about that. Yeah. Well, I, I also want to go back to what you mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago about Stan Lee's uh, dialogue and his his writing in general. Yeah.
0: Well,
1: do. Yes. So I was I was going to say, I do think that his in a lot of ways these comics if you if you were to compare these comics to today's comics they're they're overwritten because there's just so many so many words um that aren't necessary you know i'm not i'm not even gonna say that there are just too many words Mm. uh, because sometimes comics can have a lot of words and 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 it works you know but there's a lot of times when you don't need words and a lot of these old comics tend to have more words than necessary. Like you'll have the character talking out loud to, to nobody, you know, he's, <laughs> it's really just talking to the reader Yeah. and he's just describing what he's doing or, or telling you why he's going somewhere. Um, and yeah, Stan Lee definitely does a lot of that, but I guess that was just how comics were back then, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I don't really necessarily hold that against him. Uh, you know, if, if, if he had written this in like the nineties or something, okay. Then it wouldn't look too, it wouldn't reflect too well on him, but you know, it's still the early sixties. Um, just based on how comics were back then it, it's understandable. And I, I do think that compared to a lot of the contemporary comics of the early sixties, at least one thing you can say about Stanley's dialogue is that it's, uh, bombastic and and he you can tell that he's having fun writing what he's writing like he'll a lot of even a lot of the captions right like they'll he'll directly address the reader like i remember um at the end of uh i think it was the electro issue the the, i think that was like issue eight or nine or something where it's the first appearance of electro at the very end of that issue um there's like a little next issue blurb um, in the last panel of the story, and, and it says like, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something like, you know, stay tuned f- uh, f- next month for another adventure in the life of the Amazing Spider-Man, the hero that could be you. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> <laughs> like by today's standards, it, a lot of that stuff it, it feels like. Like the narrator is, or the writer is a carnival barker, you know.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> he's just some guy that's trying to trying to show. Yeah, he's like trying to sell you something and, and make you want to buy the next issue, and you know, there, there's something I guess quaint about that. But I will say that one one positive thing about that style of writing is that his his dialogue and his captions they are warm and inviting and and welcoming you know there there's kind of a it's kind of a way to build uh a rapport or some kind of uh bond with the reader Mm -hmm. i don't i don't necessarily think that it's something that people should be trying a lot today but you never know man maybe if somebody like tries to write something in this style today it, it 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 could still be interesting i don't know how they could make that work uh but compared to uh, a lot of the other 60s comics uh i think i think stanley's writing holds no, I, up pretty strongly
0: you know what i i totally see what you mean uh like even though it might be fair to say that a lot of comics were Wordy in the same way, but even though they were all potentially equally wordy, I I think it's fair to say that those other comics were more flat than what Stan Lee was doing. Yeah, so you know, I've I've I remember I read so this definitely wasn't the same time period, but you know, I read some of those old golden age Superman comics in like collections. Mm -hmm. And I I'd say that, you know, those were clearly people who were writing for, uh, a very specific time period, but yeah, I think inviting is the best way to put it. Like I don't, I never, I can't say that their writing was, anywhere near as inviting as Stan Lee's was. And I, I would also say, yeah, that, that it, it is quaint, you know? It's, And I did catch myself chuckling out loud <laughs> as I was reading the book. Um, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I was laughing at the work, but there was stuff about it that was kind of funny – in just how quaint it was. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I don't know if that makes me look like a jerk or, you know, like some sort of ironic hipster, but, I mean, that was the entertainment that I got out of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm, I do think there are bits of dialogue and scenes that that are genuinely funny, too, because they're so um, over the top. Like, I think about the character J. Jonah Jameson, in a lot of these issues, he's got this like ridiculous, uh, like it's 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 over the top in the sense that there's how can there really be this newspaper publisher person who's so consumed um, with with himself? You know, like how can he possibly have? How can there possibly be a guy with such a big ego who yeah. who can't face? Uh, you know, common sense and reality. Like this guy is a very successful newspaper publisher. How is that possible when he has such a, you know, twisted view of of reality? He's constantly after Spider-Man and constantly, uh, you know, giving Peter Parker, his his freelance photographer, a hard time by by ch- being a cheapskate and not paying him fairly. But still, you know, in his thought balloons, he he still thinks of himself as you know a generous great person and stuff it's it's funny
0: (laughs) yeah yeah totally totally
1: so albert what about in terms of the originality of this run is where does this rate in terms of its creativity and imagination and having something new or meaningful to say
0: so we did touch on it a little bit in the craft and i would Again, I would mention that I don't want to make it sound like it was only creative because, you know, it it can only be compared to what was around at the time. But at the same time, like, people have to realize that what was around at the time didn't compare to, to Spider-Man, you know? There wasn't mm-hmm. really much that was like him. You said it yourself that... um One of the things uh, that jumped out at me was that here was a teenage superhero who wasn't a sidekick and he wasn't Dennis the Menace. He (laughs) He wasn't wasn't Archie. He wasn't Archie and he wasn't, uh, you know, uh, Little Lulu or whatever. He wasn't a kid. He was a kid, but he was, he called himself Spider Man, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things um, that always jumps out is the fact that. You know, Superman was an adult, so he was just living, in his private life, he was living with adult problems. You know, it was just, he went to work and, you know, he he had to deal with his boss, whatever. And in it- fact,
1: you could even say that even in his civilian life, Clark Kent never really had to deal with adult problems because those were never really a focus of the stories you know he, if he was late on a deadline yeah he, he was superman dude he had super speed he could type out a story in like 10 seconds
0: exactly exactly and you could say the same of batman like in his civilian life he was a rich you know playboy yeah they never really went into like <laughs> you know what problems quote unquote he went into but He never got
1: busted for insider trading or he never got an STD (laughs) or anything.
0: I want to read that story. (laughs) (laughs) Batman's greatest foe, gonorrhea.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That one to the rogues gallery.
0: (laughs) It did what the Joker never could.
1: (laughs) And then one day we'd have a comic...
0: Three gonorrheas. <laughs> That's uh, terrible. <laughs> but Spider Man, he like there are large chunks of his of his comic that were committed to the fact that you know he was trying to he was just trying to make it in a world of other teenagers that were jerks or there would be a girl that he liked but then he would come into conflict with the fact that another girl was giving him attention and he was getting in trouble for it things like that i mean like that look i'm not going to say that that was my high school life because it certainly wasn't but <laughs> at least on paper it was it was problems that most high schoolers or possibly kids and I use the term kids kind of loosely. Like, I, I give it a wide range. But it was problems that they could relate to. And, yeah, and um, although he was Spider-Man, he was very much... deal. So it was a case where the people who were picking up the books for once were reading about things that they identified with. And prior to this again you we just never saw anything like that and it says something of that it says something that it says something that that idea still lasts to this day because Mm -hmm. even though spider-man has aged out of that um demographic you could say like Every generation does have its version of Spider-Man, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I, I think it's fair to say that that, um, that model can trace its roots all the way back to Peter Parker and to Stan Lee and Steve Ditko's Spider-Man.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So yeah that's like-
1: one of the things I like thinking about every so often is like, what is each decade's Spider-Man, you know? yeah and and this is something that you and i have talked about uh off not on the podcast but just when we're just having fun talking about comics absolutely yeah like i I always think about um like in the 90s who was the spider-man of the 90s i i I think of static yep um and in the 2000s i think of invincible yeah and now in the 2010s um it's got to be miles morales
0: yeah and, well, I mean, I just thought of another one um, while you were talking about it. And I, this wasn't something that I think too many people, like, I don't know. I, I It's debatable. But I was even going to go with the Tim Drake Robin series. Oh, yeah. Chuck Dixon. I think that's a awesome example. There, well, there were a bunch of teen heroes in, in the 90s. You had Impulse and you had Superboy, you know. Mm -hmm. um but uh, yeah i I think it's fair to say that all of them you you wouldn't have that model of doing a high school drama for a superhero if they didn't have spider-man you know
1: yeah exactly especially high school drama where a lot of the stories play out the tension between their responsibilities as a hero and their desire to want to be a normal kid and yeah have a social life and do things like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a huge, that like what you just mentioned right there, that's a huge, like recurring theme in, in these stories is mm-hmm. again, Spider-Man has this responsibility that comes with his powers, but there's so much of him that just wants to be able to be a normal teenager who just goes to the prom and is liked by people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Another thing I wanted to go back to in terms of the originality of this work is that I I personally believe that Spider-Man is the greatest origin story in superhero comics, just flat out. It's the best origin story there ever
0: was and probably ever will be do you uh
1: agree or disagree
0: albert i would i would agree with that i think like when i think back to all the other origins like there's something about spider-man's origin that just it sticks with me man like Mm -hmm. i don't know i i still can't put my finger on it uh like i think of I think of other superheroes and you know, you have like the flash who yeah. struck by lightning and doused in chemicals. And that's how he got his super speed. Uh, Green Lantern got an alien ring that was bestowed upon him by an alien cop. I mean, who was they're dying. Fun, who was dying. They're, they're fun origins, but there's just something about that particular idea. I, I don't know. Maybe, Maybe it's got something to do with the fact that it it's so tied into the '60s and an era of optimism and science. <laughs> I mean that that's that might be one reason why it's something that just captures my imagination so much. But I, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts, Drew? What? Why do you think it's
1: so? For me, I, I'd say it's. best origin story because it hits a pretty heavy emotional note but it also captures the very core essence of the character which is power and responsibility Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because with let's take a look at some of the examples that you brought up with the like the flash or green lantern right like Getting hit by lightning and chemicals. Okay, I guess lightning bolts are fast, but what does that really have to do with who Barry Allen is? Uh <laughs> 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 or or like Hal lightning Jordan Bol- getting the ring from Avin Sir. <laughs> like what, what does that really show about who Her- who Hal Jordan
0: is at heart, you know? Well, the ring was following the emotional spectrum <laughs> to the most co- to the most courageous slash green person there was, and that was Hal
1: Jordan. <laughs> Wait, green is the color of courage. I thought green was the color of willpower. I Will thought power, willpower courage, was one of the emotions. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but um. Or even even with like uh, Superman, you know his origin story of being shot for, in a rocket as a baby from a dying planet and and landing on Earth and being raised by a loving couple. That 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 one I think gets a little bit closer to Spider-Man's origin, if I only so because too. emotionally um, it it gets to the heart of of Superman because it shows like somebody that. Has lost a planet, um, but is just you know is nurtured and raised by good people. Ends up becoming a good person. Yeah, yeah,
0: so, yeah. So like
1: I think like that 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 makes a little bit more sense. And it's not it's not because for me the the origin isn't so much about the powers. It's about um, the heart of the character. And Superman, you know, it's very simple. He gets his powers because he's an alien. Who lands on Earth and the Yellow Sun imbues his cells with all his might? Right, you know that, right. that's like I, I don't I don't really care. You know that's fine. It, it it's good enough an excuse to to if have Superman. To be Superman. It's, it's yeah, exactly. It means to an end, exactly. Yeah. And and Spider Man, you know, getting bitten by a radioactive spider. Okay, that that's you know questionable science, but whatever. You know, we're, we're reading a fun fictional story. But but what does get to the heart of Spider-Man is just this idea that that he the whole reason why he's Spider-Man is not because he has powers but it's because he messed up.
0: Yeah. Right?
1: It's because he didn't use his power responsibly one time in his life and it cost him Uncle Ben. Yeah. And because of that he's always gonna remember it and he's he's it's the thing that that just drives him you know it's the emotional core and the heart of the character is that constant tension in every good spider-man story between power and responsibility and his origin his origin ties directly into that because it shows you the consequence of not using your power responsibly Mm -hmm. i think that is what makes his origin story so powerful and and moving you know, it, it's interesting too because Uncle Ben, in the in Amazing Fantasy number fifteen, he and he and Aunt May are super decrepit and old. Like <laughs> they already look like they're gonna keel over and die at any moment. You know? <laughs> so it, it's it's weird to think that they're this elderly couple is raising a a teenager because the age difference. They're they're not really the age of what his parents would probably be because they're so old yeah but but it's clear so clear that aunt may and and uncle ben love peter parker when when you read the origin story in in amazing fantasy number 15 it's so concise it's it's only 11 pages but everything that you see all these people treat spider-man they treat peter parker like crap like all the other kids at school bully him they they don't respect him even the girls say mean things to him and treat him like he's nothing um and the only time that anybody even approaches uh the idea of giving him any attention is after he puts on the Spider Man costume and becomes an entertainer you know and at that point he's, he's really just a spectacle he's he's the he's a, a sideshow at a at a carnival or something or a circus that's what he is he's a wrestler yeah exactly he's a wrestler he's
0: basically a wrestler is what he is <laughs>
1: yeah and so all these people are, are kind of vying for his attention but only because he's uh, he's a spectacle it's only Aunt May and Uncle Ben who, who actually display any real sense of care or, or love for him um, so when he loses Uncle Ben it, even though in the story it's very short and brief like there, there is something pretty sad about it when you think about, um, when you think about it, you know, it's basically his his dad getting killed because it's his own fault. Yeah. So I, I've yeah. always felt like that was some powerful uh, storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe Batman's origin comes close to approaching it, but. I still think uh, Spider-Man's origin story is absolutely, unquestionably, the best origin story. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Well said. Well said.
1: And the fact that he constantly had to balance his lousy personal life as Peter Parker uh, versus his heroic life as Spider-Man... It's like you said, man. That there's something about that idea that that people throughout the decades have come to emulate. You know, maybe yeah. that that kind of gets to the uh, next criteria about the impact of it. But but uh, it it was pe- people are only influenced by, or people are influenced by it because it it was so well done. You know, like it it was a memorable way of of telling the hero's story. To, to show that the hero had some kind of foible, um, which you didn't really see in a lot of the DC heroes at the time of the sixties, mm-hmm. but with the advent of Marvel, uh, you started seeing stuff like that. And, and Peter Parker's narrative absolutely made that uh, come to the forefront. Yeah. And I, yeah. Go ahead. No, go, ahead.
0: I know. go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I, I, I feel like there's a lot of truth to what you just said. Um, I, I think one of the things that we uh, rag on a lot for, and this might be a long way for me to get to a to a particular point I'm making is, but we talk about how um, you know there are these milestones in comics that get big, and then they get copied so much that they become parody and Mm -hmm. i do think you know like one of the main things that we talk about as an example of this is like how batman the dark knight returns and other comics like it spawned this entire era of like comics that wanted to be as dark Mm -hmm. and angsty and but they just you know they just kept trying to outdo the original uh work and when you just go so overboard it just becomes parody right well, yeah. I have a feeling that Spider-Man kind of set off an era where you did see a lot of similar kind of ideas after that, where they they just it, it's like you said, like they emulated it because there was something about that core concept of having someone so heroic who had all these human flaws, right? Mm-hmm. So there was something about it that they just wanted to that carried over and still carries over today when when they write other heroes you know,
1: yeah, I think even Marvel kept trying to uh you know totally. they tried they tried to create more spider mans you know like they would try to create characters that were uh like teenage heroes that had problems. And stuff yeah. like like the one that jumps immediately to mind is nova yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: like in the 70s he was probably like their attempt at making another spider-man
0: <laughs> yeah i mean he, i think he's got moderate success He he's still around he's still he ain't yeah
1: he ended up working out uh in the long run but yeah. they i think it's because people told stories that weren't just uh regurgitations of the spider-man narrative arc
0: yeah 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 totally
1: so it, it it required some reinvention yeah oh another uh one more thing about originality that i really appreciated about this run of comics is their creation of jay jonah jameson mm. i think he's a character he's a great antagonist because he's not He's not a super villain that spider-man can knock out and send to prison yeah he's a he's an he's an antagonist in the you know most literal sense of the word because he just does these things that get under peter's nerves and and uh, undermine and damage spider-man's reputation in the public eye because he just publishes this newspaper where he's constantly writing these stories and headlines that slander and smear Spider-Man, calling him a, a public menace and yeah. a threat. Uh, I think the famous headline is always Spider-Man menace or threat. <laughs> right? It's just like it's silly, <laughs> but, <it's, laughs> but he, yeah. he, he just works so well as an antagonist. And when we were talking about, um, about uh far from home, a couple episodes ago, I, I really like that they brought back that uh, J Jonah Jameson as a or J K Simmons as J Jonah Jameson because he really plays that kind of character. Uh, he plays really it the way well. we
0: imagine it. <laughs>
1: exactly, he plays it exactly like we imagine it, and yeah. and the way that he was in that uh, post credit scene at the end of Far From Home, it it it's totally reminiscent of. Um, the lead Ditko, J. Jonah Jameson, because I feel like for, if you only read modern comics, the way that J. Jonah Jameson is nowadays, he, he's, he's different. Like He's not as extreme as as the Alex Jones Info J.J.J. in yeah. uh, Far From Home. But if yeah. you read uh, the lead Ditko Spider-Mans and you read the J. Jonah Jameson scenes, yeah, you could definitely see this guy is like his era's alex jones
0: <laughs> yeah well he's i mean one of the things that a lot of people have glossed over over the years is like although jay Jonah jameson did spend a lot of his time and resources just smearing spider-man um he also spent his time and resources creating genuine threats to spider-man that's
1: true <laughs> he, that he started
0: the creation of the scorpion he funded the creation of the Spider Slayers. And these were things that would go on to basically kill and kill people and damage <laughs> society. But he never really suffered any consequences for this.
1: He continued know? on in his job as a well-respected newspaper publisher. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. I mean, like, he, he was... I wouldn't say that he was like a Lex Luthor because he he didn't have nearly as much poise or composure, but <laughs> <laughs> there was... Yeah, I mean, there, he J. Jonah Jameson is truly unique as as a antagonist slash villain for Spider-Man. Um, they've definitely toned him down a lot over the years uh, to the point where today... It feels more like he's a frenemy, yeah, than he is, you know, openly hostile to Spider-Man.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Even the stories um, where he just kind of shows up um, as a in his role as a newspaper publisher. Yeah, it's interesting to think about how you can reconcile those stories with the guy who created the spider slayers for yeah. money to create the scorpion. You know, yeah. like in our, uh, the last time we did uh, an episode of our top 25, we talked about Frank Miller's daredevil. And when he did the born again storyline, there are scenes in that with, um, well, yeah, even, even uh, his, his original run, there are scenes where Ben Yurick is in the, in the daily bugle. Um, and you get, scenes of him and, and Jay Jonah Jameson and in those in those uh, issues, Jay Jonah Jameson he's he's like a serious newspaper person, you know? Like he's yeah. somebody, he's more like Perry White from uh, the Daily Planet and Superman in those... Yeah, there's a the streak of
0: nobility to him.
1: Yeah, so, exactly. Like, there's a, a sense of nobility. That he, yeah, he, he cares about actual, real journalism, you know? Like he wants yeah. Ben Uric to to turn in a great story <laughs> and it's funny to think that you know 20 years before that before born again he was creating the spider slayers
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> he fun- he basically funded state terrorism <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean uh, just the very idea of um jay jonah jameson like one of the things i feel like i often hear when they interview people about Spider Man, one of the things that often comes up is um, another another thing about Spider Man that's so original is like people like Superman in in their comics. Everybody loved Superman, you know, like yeah. the, the city loved Superman, and Perry White and the Daily Bugle loved Superman, and with Batman, even the cops were, you know supportive of they his. had a special hotline
1: that they could call the yeah, bat cave
0: they hotline and uh and and the bat signal right mm-hmm. but here with spider-man people so you know we we talked about how peter parker w- had has to deal with crap in his regular civilian life but even as spider-man there are times where you know the city hates him or the city is willing to believe the worst about him and yeah, the, they believe uh,
1: those headlines.
0: Yeah, and the institutions within the city aren't all that much more uh, forgiving of him, you know? So mm-hmm. that was another new introduction to the world of comics uh, that we can accredit to Stanley and Steve Ditko. That's another like high mark of originality is that uh, they introduced this concept that the hero doesn't have to be this pillar of society that's loved by everybody. He was you know? a misfit and an outcast. Yeah, totally. He was still trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Which really makes his case that much more powerful. It was, it's easy to like protect people that love you, but yeah. You know, he does it in spite of that fact. He he protects the city even though you know they want to set him to the stake. <laughs>
1: yeah he's a it's more heroic he's a he's a tragic hero in in some sense yeah
0: i was, I was also in thinking about
1: <laughs> yeah i was also thinking about how uh, aunt may hates spider-man like there's all of these scenes where she she thinks spider-man is a creep and and just horrible you know like she's she's one of those people that that reads the daily bugle and and believes the headline
0: yeah yeah. There's
1: an added sense of irony to that because she doesn't realize that Spider-Man is her beloved nephew that she doubts upon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's like quite a few scenes where he's in the same room, at, he's in the same room with her as she's just kind of bad-mouthing Spider-Man and he's just like, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
1: So let's talk a little bit about the impact of this work albert what sort of lasting influence did the amazing spider-man have what kind of mark did
0: it leave uh yeah like um we mentioned earlier that you know sp- uh, the model for spider-man was something that we hadn't seen prior and once they cracked that seal um you know the the comics industry like marvel tried to replicate it a bunch of times by creating like similar like-minded uh heroes who suffered the same uh issues that spider-man had which was you know teenage heroes dealing with uh teenage problems on top of saving the world mm-hmm. and it's it's a it's a model that they've replicated quite a few times and uh with each generation they try to have their own version of it you know just Mm -hmm. their own contemporary version of that uh idea of well what would a modern teenager be like if they what would their modern problems be and what would that what would that teenager look like trying to save the world Mm -hmm. how would they respond to it what would their uh, stimuluses be, you know, things like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, I don't know if I have any statistical, uh, facts or research to, to back this up, but I think he's, one of the most popular superheroes there is like if there's he's probably more popular than than superman maybe only batman comes close to him in terms of popularity Mm. it just feels like people love spider-man even if they don't read comics people seem to like the idea and the concept of spider-man it's always got this massive presence in in pop culture because they make they constantly make cartoons. There's the movies. He's in video games. And then there's all the other junk like T-shirts and lunchboxes, underwear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just random knickknacks that have his likeness on them.
0: Yeah. I remember when I was a kid. And I don't know if you're going to remember this either. But I I would watch TV shows. And I can't really remember which specific ones but i think something like webster might have been one of them nice but you know how at the end of tv shows they would have uh the name of the production company or whatever yeah yeah so why
1: the marvel productions logo where you'd see spider-man
0: yeah exactly so i was gonna say one of my like first earliest memories of spider-man was that logo so once the show ended you would wait all the way to the end and then at the very end of it, there would be the Marvel, I, I think it was Marvel Productions, and then you would see like this Spider Man swing up and like land right on the logo. Yep. And as a kid, that just stuck with me. Like, I didn't know anything about this character. This was like probably before I was picking up the cards or before I even had access to the cards. But I just mm-hmm. saw this character and I saw him swinging up and. You know, even though I knew I wasn't getting more story than that, or I wasn't getting more information than that, there, like, there was a part of me that just wanted to stand there in the hopes that he would do more. You know, <laughs> that I could just watch that. There's just something about yeah. that image, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, rem- I remember that, too. Yeah, that was in a lot of com- uh, cartoons of, of that era.
0: Yeah. But... It, it just goes to show like just how powerful of an icon Spider-Man is, you know, that again, like prior to the movies, it, I don't think, I don't think anybody really knew, like, I, I don't think you could just stop anyone off the street and ask them if they knew, you know, what issue Green Goblin made his first appearance or whatever. Oh, but, yeah but i'm pretty confident they'd be able to tell you something about spider-man or they'd even be able to recognize him at the very least and like that's more than you can say for a lot of characters
1: Mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know totally is like if you ask somebody who hey who's nova <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly
1: i'm pretty sure that uh the average person on the street who doesn't read comics would be like what are you talking about
0: yeah um in terms of other impacts that uh, spider-man has made like they've tried to expand a bunch of his universe to this day and I I would say that for a bunch of years they uh, they they added a lot of characters to to his particular section of the marvel universe but i would say it isn't until recently that we've really seen a lot of his supporting characters really pick up to the point where they can sort of support their own books you know yeah Um, like when i think about it in the 90s i think about guys like puma or cardiac prowler you know (laughs) Um, let's see, Silver Sable, uh, Black Cat, like, you know, he, he's always had a lot of, um, characters with like spin-off potential, but they just, I don't, I don't really feel like any of those ever made it. And I would say that it wasn't until, uh, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna punch myself in the gut for this one, but Venom yeah, Venom. <laughs> Venom is an example of uh, a property of or uh, a spinoff property or a spin-off property that really blew up. Even though I can't think of uh, a comic that he was able to sustain, um, but as a concept and as an idea, he blew up, and lots of people love him
1: yeah he has a comic right now
0: yeah he has a comic out now certainly and but what i was going to mention earlier was it it i feel like it wasn't until miles morales that we really saw like his spider-man's expanded universe just pick up a whole lot of steam you know
1: yeah they made the spider-verse and tried to Bring a bunch of characters out. You know, there was Spider Gwen, uh, Silk. Yeah. Uh, heck, they even uh, gave another shot to the Jessica Drew Spider Woman.
0: Spider Man twenty ninety nine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I, I want to say, well, you know what? I don't know what the sales numbers are, but just, but it feels like they. Have been putting a lot of these characters out front lately you know like uh like spider-man 2099 has his own book and like you said spider gwen has her own book even even calling it ghost spider now and mm-hmm. um, yeah like it there was a period in time where i i, I felt like they were just kind of throwing things against the wall but yeah. Yeah. Um it's pretty clear that Spider-Man's impact is is still felt and it's it's pretty heavy in the in the Marvel universe.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely as a character he left a big impact on the Marvel universe because he's always in every story i mean they're they're constantly published so many spider-man comics so he's never really out of the spotlight yeah uh i mean there's obviously been periods when the comic hasn't been very when the spider-man comics haven't been very good Mm. but you could say that about any character yeah uh there was something that i I wanted to talk about trying to think about what it was Oh, I was yeah I was gonna say that the fact that they had all these spin-offs um, it that really does show that spider-man is uh, an important character to to Marvel and I guess to Disney yeah you know they're they're constantly trying to find more and more spider-man's. You know, yeah. it's, it's like, I guess it's almost like the, or I guess it is the greed of the rich person trying to f- find even more gold, you know? He's constantly yeah. digging for, trying to, trying to strip the same vein clean. Um, it's not really, I mean, there's diminishing returns, I think. but Definitely. just the fact that we've gone from an eleven-page story in a book that was about to be canceled to this multi-million franchise.
0: Yeah, it's it's unbelievable, almost, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. It it would be yeah. pretty hard to believe that in the early '60s when Lee and Ditko made this comic. I, I I highly doubt that they expected the character to endure for the rest of their lives. I mean, yeah. the character endures beyond their yeah yeah, and and Spider-Man's most likely gonna endure after we're dead too. So he's yeah he's just a character that it, it's hard to imagine he would ever go away, right? And he's like he's like Mickey Mouse or something. He Mickey belongs Mouse to
0: the know. ages now.
1: Yeah yeah
0: yeah um. Yeah, it's one of the things that I was thinking, which is just kind of a testament to how much Marvel values him, was, um, you know, a couple of decades back when they did um, Avengers Disassembled, and one of their big things was to do new Avengers. So this was a story where okay. the Avengers, as we knew them, was completely deconstructed at the time and you know they they were going to rebuild the avengers from the ground up and one of the big things that they did was well if we're going to rebuild the avengers we're going to put we're going to make the team be comprised of basically the most recognizable characters in the marvel universe why yeah. why shouldn't we put them in there you know so that's what the justice thing does with their characters Exactly, you know, like it. With the Justice League, it's a powerhouse. You know, it's their powerhouses. Um, with Marvel, they were just like, we're just going to go with our like name recognition powerhouses. So this was a team that had Spider Man and Iron Man and Wolverine, and you know, Captain uh, America. Captain America. It it was a pretty uh, star studded team. I mean, there were a couple of. Um, not quite as well known people at the time, but you know, I, I think I think time has shown that putting them in there was a good idea, if only if only to boost their recognition, which they ultimately did. You know, mm-hmm. characters like Luke or whatever, what have you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but but yeah, the fact that they that Marvel wanted to to have a name. Recognition heavy team, and they decided to put Spider Man on the team as an Avenger. Like, up to it's that no point, brainer. it's a no brainer, exactly. And up to that point, I think there were always stories where Spider Man was uh, an event, like a reserve Avenger. Like, I, you know, yeah, he had like a membership card, but he wasn't like he didn't get the benefits, he didn't get a you know he he wasn't allowed to work out in their gym or anything
1: you know uh i just read a couple weeks ago i was reading a a small stack of old 1980s avengers comics written by roger stern yeah i had i had bought like a run of maybe 15 or 18 consecutive issues from around like 200 issue 220 something to 240 something I bought them for a quarter to pop at Lee's Comics, uh, Rest in Power. Rest in Power. The very last time that we ever went to the store, yeah, uh, not knowing that a pandemic would lie ahead and be the end of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Dang <sighs> shame, dang shame.
1: Yeah, but I read uh, those comics and those '80s Avengers comics, and I there was a story. Uh, it was actually a two-parter where Spider-Man. Uh, wanted to become an Avenger, and it was funny because he learned that uh, being an Avenger meant that uh, number one you could live in Avengers Mansion, and number two you got paid one thousand dollars a week.
0: Wow, that's really good.
1: Yeah, and he was super excited because, well, he's Spider-Man, dude. He he wasn't he wasn't making that much dough, and he he really needed the money. So yeah. he was hoping to be able to join the Avengers and get get the $1,000 a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty fun story, man. But um, what
0: ended up happening?
1: He ended up... Uh, it, it turned out that when he went on the... He, he disobeyed a direct order from Captain America and Ooh. joined him on a mission when he shouldn't have joined him on the mission. And he ended up uh, kind of not being a team player during the battle... And it almost cost them.
0: Ooh.
1: Yeah. He was definitely
0: not being hired. (laughs) Yeah. He
1: he failed the job interview.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like, so, exactly. So, up to that point in time, like, as far as I had known, Spider Man had never been, like, a full fledged member of the Avengers. And, you know then this comic came out and for the first time they were like look Spider-Man's one of the biggest names we have we're going to put him front and center on the Avengers and bam there we had mm-hmm. it you know so yeah yeah it's a testament to the power of Spider-Man or to the power of the idea of Spider-Man rather
1: yeah the the widespread undeniable appeal of Spider-Man
0: yeah Do you so, feel like that covers your? Uh, you know, do you feel like that's a satisfactory answer for what sort of impact Spider-Man has?
1: I think so. I think so. Uh, I mean, there's probably things that we uh, that could be said, but but we're only human, man. You know how it is. At the, after after we finish recording every episode, we'll we'll talk to each other tomorrow and be like dang how did how did we forget to talk about that last night you know yeah yeah
0: (laughs) unfortunately unfortunately hindsight is 2020
1: the yeah i think it's pretty undeniable that spider-man has left a big impact on comics um so let's talk about the final point in our criteria how does the Amazing Spider-Man by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko withstand the test of time, Albert.
0: Well, I think well, we talked about it in brief earlier, but I think one of the signs that their ideas have withstood the test of time. I mean, one, it's clear that Spider-Man as a character is going to withstand the test of time. You, mm-hmm. you just said in a few minutes ago that Spider-Man will outlive me and you. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I mean, I don't know about you, but he's definitely gonna outlive me because, um, you know, I'm, uh, I have plans to kill myself. No, <laughs> oh, kidding, <man>. kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. that's kidding, that is, a, this is
1: dark. That's a pretty dark thing to say on this podcast.
0: Uh, I I've hired several clowns to beat me to death in an alley.
1: Three jokers.
0: <laughs> uh no no i don't want to give them that that title any uh uh validation they're they're just clowns
1: (laughs) they're all clowns so it's there's not a clown a comedian and uh and
0: uh all clowns just straight up clowns (laughs) (laughs) Um, but um but in terms of like how that original what did you say 38 issue run
1: Yeah, plus uh, Amazing Fantasy number 15 and the first two annuals.
0: Okay, so the 39, 41 issues, or 41 comics, let's say. Mm -hmm. Um, So in terms of how those 41 comics have withstood the test of time, uh, um, so for those of you who aren't too familiar with comics, um, comics do tend to have a cyclical nature to them. Mm -hmm. So every couple of years, a new writer comes on and if they're lucky enough, they get to work on a character for a few years and it's their opportunity to leave their stamp on that character. And a lot of the times what they'll do is they'll take it as an opportunity to play in that toy box and to revisit a lot of those older stories. And I think one of the ways or one of the examples of how those original 41 comics like uh withstand the test of time is the fact that every couple of years or every you know every time there's new iteration of spider-man going around there's bound to be someone who wants to revisit elements of those old stories mm-hmm. you know even um, the stories that we do that me and you tend to um uplift even something like craven's last hunt that takes that goes back to the original idea of craven and Mm -hmm. you know reimagines it um like i yeah i'm pretty sure i think it's pretty fair to say that you know any spider-man story that completely i'm not saying you can't do a spider-man story that is completely original but just in terms of what i've seen i haven't seen too much where they've where they've done anything to reinvent the wheel you know what about
1: that time when dr octopus took over spider-man's body
0: oh wow you're gonna go there
1: Hey, you said you wanted to think of us an example of something that wasn't, you know, a strip a strip mine of this original stuff.
0: Well, you know what? I'm I'm gonna engage you on this particular topic because I feel like we've we talked about this when we were talking about Craven's Last Hunt um, earlier in our 25 top Marvel comics of all times. One Mm -hmm. of the things that you mentioned was. The that that particular storyline was called The Superior Spider-Man, and it was about how Dr. Octopus takes over Spider-Man's body and decides that he is going to prove that he's going to be a better Spider-Man than Spider-Man ever was. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing about that was, one of the things that you mentioned was that it wouldn't surprise you if the... Um, If the roots to that idea didn't come from, or didn't have some uh, roots in something like Craven's Last Hunt, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. so yeah, so I I don't know. Everything that's a ripoff in a way, yeah. So okay,
1: what what about uh, what about? Maximum clonage, or the clone saga.
0: That's just bad. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, that's
1: pretty much all you need to say about that. Yeah, yeah. What about uh, what about the stuff that J. Michael Straczynski did in the early 2000s, where he introduced the element of Spider-Man's origin being uh, an outcome of the spider totem.
0: Huh. well, one I think that that as a as an addition to the mythos of Spider Man was a complete miss. Um, it's like I I I personally like I personally liked. The idea that Spider Man was bitten by a radioactive spider and that's how he got his powers. Like, I never thought of it as dubious science because, well, technically all comics is kind of dubious science. So, all you the know, superhero comics are. All, all superhero comics, right? So, you know, with that perspective in mind, it never really bothered me. I never looked at it and was like, wait, is that how radioactive spiders work? <laughs> because no, that's not how radioactive spiders work at all
1: <laughs> I don't even think that's how radiation works
0: yeah, I'm pretty sure in real life radiation would have just killed the spider in fact, I'm pretty sure in real life if like people were standing around and there was this dynamo generating radioactivity it would have killed everybody in the room <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a bad idea <laughs> But that being said, like, I didn't really feel like I needed the reveal of, you know, uh, animal god beings that imbue uh, humans to be their avatars on Earth. I I didn't really feel like that was something that was necessary.
1: It doesn't add anything to Spider-Man's mythos.
0: Yeah, it just felt like it was something that they just put in there to, you know, be shocking, you know? But if anything, it was just underwhelming. Um, but the point I was going to make was I, I do feel like there's no escaping uh, the original material. Because even when you try to go, even by, by virtue of subtraction, you mm-hmm. it almost requires you to acknowledge that stuff. Right? True. True. So just because of that... Like, they would have to do something incredibly radically different to the point where it wouldn't even be Spider-Man if they if that if that's what they were gonna do, you know? Yeah, yeah.
1: Like, they could uh, make Spider-Man like Batman, like in Kari Andrews' Spider-Man Reign. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: <laughs> was, uh, it it was let me put it this way Spider-Man Rain was probably it had it was a derivative work overall but there was one element of creativity that is just too <laughs> much <magical.
0: laughs> uh, I will say that if I at least we got that one detail out of that comic yes <laughs> And uh, there, there's entertainment in that. It's, it's a bit cringy, but it's entertainment nonetheless. Um, we've talked about this in other episodes, but essentially uh, what happens in Spider-Man Reign is it's a story about Spider-Man in the future, and Spider-Man's an old man, and Mary Jane has since died. And uh, he finds out that, or we, the reader, find out that the reason that she died in the future is that All those years that they were making sweet, sweet love to one another. Spider-Man's, his seed was radioactive, and he was slowly poisoning her.
1: (laughs) So disgusting. (laughs) Ooh.
0: Yeah, that's, (laughs) yeah. I
1: I can't believe that that ended up getting published. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, I used to have the original issues, like the the first print of the f- first issue. I think it actually showed you uh, old Peter Parker's genitals. Really, I believe so.
0: Whoa! Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow, I'm uh, I'm speechless.
1: It it was uh, pretty bizarre. Did
0: they have, did they have spider webs? <laughs> oh boy! Uh, uh, anyways,
1: you know what else makes me think about how the original Lee and Bitco stuff has st- withstood the test of time? It's like instead of uh, core ideas behind the heart of their stories that that's really what makes them withstand the test of time that's i think that's why i can still read them even though like we said before uh, stanley's dialogue is pretty dated uh and and a lot of times it's not just dated but it's actually i would say overwritten Mm. but i i can still read them today because the heart behind them is still it still resonates like there's still a genuine sense of pathos behind them behind the ideas yeah one of the things that i would say demonstrates how timeless the core ideas of their stories are um or one of the things that demonstrates why it's so timeless is ultimate spider-man Ultimate Spider-Man, which was also on our top 25 Marvels uh, much earlier in the life of this podcast. Um, So it's been a long time since we talked about it. Uh, But because that comic, which was produced in the early 2000s to, I don't know, like twenty. 12 or something somewhere around there maybe before uh, Miles Morales came along and it became the Miles Morales book I mean I'll I'll count that as part of it uh, of that run Um, but Ultimate Spider-Man by Bendis and uh, the original artist Mark Bagley they took the basic concepts of Ditko and Lee's work and just revitalized it in a way that uh, the modern reader could appreciate it. So it it, it, took, it took the original 11-page origin story of Spider-Man and expanded that into like a six or seven-issue story arc. So you actually got to see uh, Uncle Ben in his role as peter's father figure you got a chance to get to know him a little bit before tragedy struck him Mm. you know things things like that where bendis decided to take you know he took the the core elements of the stories and the characters and just kind of remixed them expanded upon them yeah Uh, it felt
0: like he was filling in the holes
1: yeah filling in the holes or even just putting a putting a new spin on on old toys you know like just taking them out and and doing something that that uh might surprise old time or long time readers of spider-man but the the essence of ultimate spider-man was still always with great power there must also come great responsibility yeah when you keep that as the core element of spider-man as long as you're competent you're not gonna mess up you know like that that's like the thing that has to drive every decent spider-man story yeah and and ultimate spider-man captures that concept and and makes it way more digestible and, and easier for the modern person to read yeah, like I, I mean, I I personally would even say that Ultimate Spider-Man is my favorite run of Spider-Man comics. Like if you if I had to choose between reading that or uh, Amazing Spider-Man by Leon Ditko, I'd, I'd probably choose Ultimate Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, this isn't a list of our favorite top twenty-five Marvel comics. It's a list of the top 25 based on the four criteria yeah. that the mystics and monks and scientists and statisticians have developed through, you know, a very stringent uh, regimen of analysis and magical uh, mysticism.
0: Don't forget the virgin sacrifices.
1: And all the virgin sacrifice.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I can't believe I forgot about that.
0: <laughs> um, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like, there's a reason that Spider Man, Spider Man, it's not really a motto, is it? Is that you know the with great power comes great responsibility is that motto
1: is that- uh, Yeah I mean I, I guess you could call it a motto. I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't argue if you called it a motto. I mean Peter what? Parker you know, like oh funny thing is is that in the origin story in Amazing Fantasy number 15, yeah. Uncle Ben never actually says that quote but people always people always That's slightly so misquote him. They they always say Uncle Ben says Uncle Ben was the one who told Spider Man with great power comes great responsibility, but the actual quote is in the final panel of the story, and it's it's just the narrator, the narration. Oh, right. said, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. Mm-hmm. So I always thought that was interesting how people kind of just shorten it, uh, shorten the quote a little bit. Um, and later stories do attribute the quote to Uncle Ben somewhere down the line. Yeah, um, but yeah that, that I would say... That, That fits as a motto or even a slogan, but ultimately I would just call it the the core essence of Spider-Man.
0: Right. Well I was gonna say was I don't think any other hero has anything quite like that. Um like can you think of like any other hero who's got a motto? A phrase that so perfectly sums up every a phrase that is so associated with that character you know
1: what about uh look up in the sky it's a bird it's a plane
0: able to uh leap tall buildings in a single bound faster than a locomotive
1: faster than a speeding bullet more powerful than a locomotive yeah
0: um (laughs) yeah but but even so like it's kind of a mouthful it's a mouthful, and I think that might be something that might have come from that might have been popularized by the TV show at the time, yeah, or uh, the radio serial, or the radio. Yeah, exactly. But what but about uh? So, Immorals are a cowardly
1: and superstitious
0: lot. I mean, what I was gonna say was even so, um, they're not. It's not a phrase that signifies anything about the heart of or or you know the emotional character Mm -hmm. uh of the the hero in question right oh what
1: about uh the x-men dude what about sworn to protect the world that hates and fears them
0: i don't think it's quite as popular like i feel like if you ask someone on the street like i think there's a good amount of people that will like if i was to ask someone if i was just to grab someone off the street and randomly ask um, with great power comes great responsibility. Like, where what do you associate that with? I think. I think a fair number of people would probably say Spider-Man.
1: Dude, I want to do this experiment now. I want to. We should go to some some public place and start pulling random people aside and saying that, just to see see if they yeah, know where it'll it's be from.
0: Interesting to see how quick it will take us to get arrested. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Albert. Albert. When this pandemic is over, I want you to go to the public park and go to these playgrounds where children play. Start pull aside some kids, man, and ask them if they know what Spider Man's motto is.
0: I didn't think of one that I uh, that I guess is at least in my mind is as. Uh, well, no, I never mind. I was gonna say the the thing on Thor's hammer but I don't even think that's quite as, I don't know. Whosoever, Who, if, he, yeah, if he be if worthy, worthy, shall possess the power of Thera. Yeah. Yeah, but even that, I don't think that's anywhere nearly as powerful as, you know, with great power, there must come great responsibility.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like, It's I, it's hard to think of something that hits that level.
0: I mean, I think the thing about it is it's, it's not just a catchphrase or a slogan or a motto. I mean, it's, it's a lesson. Yeah. You know, and I don't think it's, I don't think those other ones really quite do the same. Uh, they don't, you know, um, maybe you could make an argument for the X-Men one, uh, you know, uh, sworn to protect a world that fears and despise loads them. But it's, it's not quite as straightforward, you know.
1: What about uh the podcasts where we talk about the stories within the panels?
0: I mean, we barely get that half right half the time so. <laughs> 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 we lack like the we lack like the consistency to to make a valid argument for that one. Oh. <laughs> um
1: we we're barely able to say our names on cue
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my point being that it's it's a phrase that is so iconic and just so resonant with spider-man you know mm-hmm. um that that yeah like it it's i feel like it's the thing that that signifies what it is about spider-man that's so special
1: yeah it absolutely does it's yeah it summarizes everything you need to know about the character i mean even even beyond the fact that he has the proportionate strength and agility of a spider and spider sense or the peter tingle and web shooters and and (laughs) all that (laughs) you know it at the very heart of the character it's with great power there must also come great responsibility and and that's really all we need that's like the the the, if we completely lost every spider-man story that was ever made but we still had that phrase we could recreate spider-man
0: yeah and and yeah absolutely and it's it's timeless, is the thing, right? Is that it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter how far technology has progressed or how the world has changed. Like that message, in and of itself, is it should it should still matter and it should still mean something no matter when you live.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those universal truths that can be applied uh, on an individual basis yeah yeah. it's probably one of the best that phrase is probably one of the best things Stanley ever
0: wrote yeah I would agree with that I would agree I, I agree wholeheartedly with that
1: alright well Albert is there anything else that you want to say about Spider-Man
0: um I got a chance to talk today about how there's a universe out there where Spider-Man's radioactive uh, bodily fluids killed his wife. <laughs> I think I'm good.
1: <laughs> it's like every episode we gotta every episode where we talk about Spider-Man, we gotta talk about Spider-Man Rain. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's because it's just such a bizarre thing. Like again, if I don't remember anything, like if I don't remember anything about that story, if that is the only thing that I remember, <laughs> <laughs> on some level they earned my the the money that I paid to read it. <laughs> Yeah,
1: can't really argue with that cuz I'm sure there. Are, I'm sure you've read a lot of other comics where you don't remember a single Anything thing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I used to have those issues uh, until we uh, we remember we did that one sale at a uh, at that high school and they were doing a show yeah, yeah, where yeah, anybody yeah. could buy, buy a table and and sell their comics and cards or collectibles. Yeah, yeah. I That's remember uh, the guy who organized that show uh he was one of the teachers at, at this at that school and and uh you know he he was a cool dude he, he introduced himself to all of us who all of the vendors uh you know he walked all of our tables and stuff and he saw that i was selling comics and i asked him or he, he, he said he was a comic book fan and asked him what he was into and he said I really love Spider-Man. I, I try to collect every Spider-Man that I see um, just because he, I guess he wanted to like have every, every issue. Man. Yeah, exactly. So even like all the mini series and spinoffs and stuff, I don't know if we've got the spinoffs, but like anything that had Spider-Man's name in the title or even oh. Spider-Man in the comic, he said he wanted to get. And he was looking at the stuff I was selling and I was selling uh, Spider-Man rain as, as a set and, and uh he he picked it up and he was like oh i've never seen this before and i was like hey you can just have that one man <laughs> I, I wonder if he if he read it and what he thought about it oh
0: <laughs> cuz he was,
1: he was an older dude you know i mean he wasn't like super old or anything so i don't i don't know if he was going to be like really offended but you know, I, I I could easily imagine him like being the kind of guy that grew up in a more innocent era, reading Spider-Man comics from like the like the '70s and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I I, I don't know. Uh, I wish I could see him again sometime and and ask him if you ended up reading it. <laughs> right,
0: right, right. Um. Yeah that that'd be. That'd be interesting. I'm, I'm curious about that now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it, it feels good, man, to finally get back to our top 25 countdown of Marvel Comics, the greatest Marvel Comics of all time.
0: Yep. And we you know, have, uh, we have uh, one left now, yeah. and we promise you all that we will get to that.
1: Yep as long or- as we don't die before that happens we will do it
0: yes as long as i don't run out of virgins to sacrifice um... <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the
1: only that's the only thing that's keeping albert alive
0: <laughs> how many will i murder today <laughs> uh... Um, but, uh, yeah, so if you guys uh, have any comments, feel free to uh, message us or DM us on uh, Instagram. Uh, follow us at Between the Gutters uh, uh, on Instagram, or you can message us on, uh, at our Gmail account. You can at Between the Gutters at gmail.com. Between the Gutters oh, the podcast. Oh, Between the Gutters podcast at gmail.com. So we totally want to hear from you. Uh, we 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 totally want to up our engagement with, you know, our listeners. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. Feel free to and contact
1: we're us. pretty active on our uh, Instagram account, even if even if we're not uh, always posting every day. Um, you know, if you yeah. drop us a message or comment on on anything that we put up, uh, we'll we'll definitely do our best to to respond.
0: Yeah. Or if you guys have like Questions for us, or even podcast topics we're we're always happy to have more comics to discuss.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to Between the Gutters. This episode has been brought to you by Barbara's Morning Out Crunch cereal. (laughs) Uh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Peace out, everybody.
0: Bye. Bye.